Good morning, Thrive Church. It's so good to see all of you, at least digitally, if we can't be in person. A couple of things before we get started here. First, there is no worship night this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m. That's not happening. We will resume those in May and let you know when we have a date and time uh, where we're going to start those again. Secondly, we will, however, continue to, to do Church at Home with Pastor James on Thursday. So be here. Um, on Facebook or on the uh, Thrive Church website, www.thrivetulsa.com at 7 p.m. for that. You will also, um, hopefully this week, you'll be getting something on the newsletter on how to uh, sign up for Zoom, which is a uh, video communication uh, platform. And we're going to try to get all of our small groups on that so at least we can see each other and have a conversation. So stay tuned for more information about Zoom and your small groups that will be coming out shortly. And of course, next week, Sunday, 10 a.m., right here for uh, Thrive Church, uh, normal uh, Sunday worship service. So I hope you're doing well. I hope everything is fine. But let me, let me just start by pointing out the obvious. Pandemics are a little scary, aren't they? I mean, they are. I mean, you have the, the sickness itself, and it affects people so differently, it, it almost seems like it's random. At least at this point, lots of research going into it, and there's all kinds of news items that are coming across, at least on my news feed, probably yours too. And then uh, with people staying at home, there's a lot of stress. Uh, if you haven't experienced it, just wait. I'm sure it'll happen. Uh, but when you're in close proximity to people and it's very difficult to, to you know, create some space and a little bit of time between uh, encounters with the people that you love the most, it does. It creates a, a little bit of stress. And of course, there's economic fallout to all of this. Most of you are aware of that. In fact, I know, having talked to some of you, that, well... People are worried about their jobs and they're worried about their mortgages and they're worried about all those kinds of things too. And all indication is that it's probably going to get worse. And of course, we've got actions on the part of the government that seem to be reducing civil liberties and there's a lot of, of new information about that. Uh, a lot of protests that are going on around the country related to that and, and it's just hard to get away from it. Because of your, of your news feeds, because of our, our cell phones, we're constantly connected. We're, we're seeing this stuff all the time. So consequently, it's always in the front of our mind. Now, if you're like me, you know that it would be a really good idea to pray about these things, right? I mean, aren't we supposed to take things to God in prayer? Yeah, and, and supposedly, um, we've got more time. Right, because we're not traveling to and from work or going to various appointments or sporting events for kids or those kinds of things. And yet, if you're like me, you might not be praying as often as maybe you think that you should. And here we are. The crisis is so big, there's lots of moving parts, there's lots of different players, and the question is, where do you start? Because it's that big, where, where do you begin? I have more time, but I'm not sure where to begin. And it, and it seemed good to us and seemed good to the Holy Spirit that uh, we would start a series on 
prayer. And so for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to be talking about this thing that that we call prayer. Now, I, I know that a lot of you who grew up in the church, you you know what prayer is supposed to be like. But this is really going to be focused on skill building. And I want to encourage you to pray. And, and I want you to enter God's presence because we really need those things right now. And let's see where he leads us through all of this. So that's what we're up to the next couple of weeks. We're just going to be talking about prayer. And in order to start um, that conversation, that discussion, we're going to actually begin in a very strange place. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And it's weird from the standpoint that in Luke chapter 10, it doesn't mention prayer at all. But I want you to see something really important. So Luke chapter 10. Uh, If you have a Bible app, go ahead and plug it in. If you have a Bible, please turn there. I'm going to be starting um, verse 25. I'm going to blow through a couple of things, but I want you to see something very important in the text related to prayer. So Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is a religious leader, stood up to test Jesus. This is a very rabbinic thing to do. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this conversation, this rabbinic conversation ensues. And so Jesus basically says, well, what does the text say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, Jesus uh, mentions, um, mentions that, yes, do this and, and you will live. But the religious leader says, uh, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. He, he wanted to make sure that he understood just exactly where Jesus was and where he was. And so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Now, you probably know where this is going because it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember it? Yeah, Jesus tells this very interesting story. A man is traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho, and he's beset by by robbers who beat him very badly and leave him for dead. And a priest passes by. But he sees the body on the side of the road, and so he goes to the opposite side of the road and just passes by basically pretending that he doesn't see the man. Now, a priest who served in the temple should have known better, but he continues on. And then it says, a Levite, who's another worker in the temple, another religious leader, sees the man, passes on the opposite side of the road, again, pretending like they don't see him, leaving leaving him for dead, just as badly as the robbers did. Again, somebody who should have known better, somebody who should have had some compassion because of their occupation. Both of them should have done better. Both of them should get God. (laughs) And yet, here they are. And then Jesus uses a, a shocking example. He says a Samaritan comes by. Samaritans, of course, are half breeds, they're part Jewish and they're part something else. And the Jews and the Samaritans basically hated each other. There was a lot of animosity between them. There was a lot of battles fought between them, a lot of bloodshed, nasty business. Samaritans were universally disliked by Jews and vice versa. And so Jesus uses that as an example. A Samaritan comes by. 
And he had compassion on the man and took care of him. Shockingly, this would have really grabbed people's attention. So you have a priest, a Levite, religious leaders who should have known better, who should have had compassion, and yet the hated Samaritan demonstrated something completely different. And so Jesus does this to the religious leader that he's having the conversation with. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Now, don't miss this. He could not even say the word Samaritan. Instead, he said, the one who had mercy on him. And of course, Jesus replies, go and do likewise. It's a powerful scene. It's a great story. It's a great parable. And it really gets to the heart of the matter. What's fascinating, though, is not necessarily the story by itself, but what follows the story of the Good Samaritan. This is where it gets really exciting, I think. Now, I want you to hit pause for a second and remember that Luke is a sophisticated author and he has an agenda. He is trying to communicate something to his reader. There's nothing random or coincidental about the the stories and the order that Luke puts them in. It's very deliberate. And so the very next story here is the one of Mary and Martha. I want to read it for you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. Here it is. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She had to feed Jesus and his 12 disciples. Growing young boys. Imagine that grocery bill. She came to to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Interesting story. Jesus' time on earth is actually quite short. Now, nobody knew that at that moment in time, but it was true. And Mary had picked to make him her priority. There's somebody in town who is well-known, a great teacher, clearly from God. And Mary chose to spend her time with him rather than the preparations that supposedly needed to be done. Hmm. How many of us fall into that same trap? We fall into the same type of got to get it done, got to get it fixed, got to get it taken care of. And here Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, soaking in everything that he says. And of course, Jesus commends her for this. And this is interesting. It wasn't necessarily that he, he was chastising Martha, but rather commending what Mary was doing. He was affirming her decision and trying to help Martha make that same choice. There's no condemnation here. It's just like, look, you're, you're worried about many things. That's a statement of fact, but there's only a few things that are needed. Indeed, only one. And so Mary was commended for her decision to spend time with Jesus, at least while he was there. So here's a question. Why do you suppose 
Luke put the story of Mary and Martha after the Good Samaritan. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, it's really, it's an interesting thought. Why did, why did Luke choose to order his narrative this way? The author Thomas Cahill, who wrote a fabulous book called The Desire of the Everlasting Hills, I highly recommend this, made this brilliant observation, very insightful. Here it is. He writes, Only if we put Christ before all practical considerations, only if we clear a place for him in our hearts, rather than clear the table, will we be able to behave as the Samaritan does. Is that great? Only when we prioritize Jesus are we able to behave like the Samaritan. There's a progression here in the text. There's a progression here in the stories. Look, we have the Good Samaritan, then we have Mary and Martha, and this is leading somewhere. There's movement going on in the writing. If you want to behave like the Good Samaritan, because that was the one that we're supposed to go and do likewise, then you have to prioritize Jesus. And here's what Cahill says next. I think this is really helpful to us today. For us who, like Luke and his readers, live without the physical presence of Jesus, clearing a place for Jesus means praying. So immediately after the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Let that sink in for a moment. We don't live with the physical presence of Jesus like they did. We do, of course, have the Holy Spirit. But in order to access that, in order to kind of clean out the junk, to clear the, the internal table, we have to pray about those things. Right? And here it is, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And this is the story the Lord's Prayer. And here it is. You have the Good Samaritan, Mary and Martha, and the Lord's Prayer. There's movement within the text. You can can actually see it occurring. To behave like the Good Samaritan requires us to prioritize um, time with Jesus. And for us in today's world, that means ultimately we have to pray. We have to spend time in some kind of prayer. Now, next week, we're going to examine the Lord's Prayer in a little more detail. Uh, in, in my intention there is to help us learn how to pray. But for today, I want to ask a simple question. I want to, I want to look at this progression of things. And I, I want us to think a little more internally about this. I want, to, I want us to think deeply for a moment. And, and the question is, who is going to ask like that disciple, whoever that unnamed disciple was, who, which one of us is going to ask, teach us to pray? Lord, will you teach us to pray? Who's going to ask that question? Now, I know, I know that you, you, you think you might know exactly how to pray, and yet, you know, if you're, you're like me, the, the problem, the, the pandemic, the economic, all the ramifications is so big and enormous, I don't know where to start. Hmm. And I know you're busy, despite the fact that, you know, it's 
supposedly not a whole lot to do because we're sheltering in place, but yet Parkinson's law says that work expands to fill available time. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. And I know you're stressed, and I know you might be out of the habit, and I know that this might even be a little bit new for some of you. But might you start where the disciples did and ask, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. Now, I want to give you one little caution here because I would be remiss if I didn't do this. So hit the pause for a moment. Prayer is a great idea. But you need to understand when you ask God to teach you to pray, it's a dangerous prayer. Don't be surprised if stuff begins to bubble up that you need to pray about. Does that make sense? If you're asking the Lord to teach you to pray, don't be surprised if things begin to occur that you need to pray about. That's probably going to happen. So during our hunkering down um, period, can we individually and collectively choose to pray? I mean, what could happen if we intentionally prayed for each other? Like, like you're, if you're involved in a small group, what if you took one family in your small group every single night and you said just a quick prayer for them? Maybe it's just asking God's protection on them. Maybe it's asking their, you know, his blessing on them. Whatever it happens to be, what if you just did that, you know, once a day or in the evening time or before you go to bed or when you first wake up, if you just did that, what would happen if we intentionally prayed for one another? What if we acted like God was there and was listening? Did I just say that? Yeah. What if we acted like we weren't just talking out loud? What if we actually acted like he was sitting next to us or across from us and we're having a conversation with him? And what if we got an answer from God for something that we were praying about and we actually wrote it down, put a date on it. What would that do for your faith? Where you, you prayed about something, God moved and you wrote it down. What, what would that be like? What would that do for you in your Christian walk? Imagine those types of things. And so I'm just going to ask you to try this. First is ask God to teach you to pray. You've got plenty of things. You may not have the time, but you've got plenty of material to pray about. So what if you just asked him to teach you to pray? And then secondly, I want you to do this. Watch for opportunities to pray that are disguised as challenges. Because that will happen. You're going to have certain things that are going to come up. It's that caution. It's going to be uncomfortable, most likely. You're not going to know where to start, but if you ask God, teach teach me to pray, look at it as an opportunity. Hey, this is something I can take to God in prayer. Try that. And then then I'm going to ask you to do something else. Commit to just five minutes, one prayer each day. Just commit five minutes, five minutes, one prayer each day. 
maybe it's someone in your small group, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's somebody that you know. Uh, if, if you're looking for people to pray for, let us know. We'd be happy to share some of those prayer requests with you, as long as they're not confidential, of course. Pray for the Thrive Church staff. Um, our jobs got very different here, much like yours. There's plenty of things to pray for, but just commit five minutes. Just pray for one thing. It doesn't have to be long or lengthy. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you're asking God to teach you how to pray. And so just pray. We're going to learn more about this as we go along in the series. Next week, we're going to talk about the actual structure of prayer or a structure of prayer. And we're going to dig a little more deeply. But what I want you to do this week is I want you to just to start. Just, I just want you to start praying about something. You can even pray for yourself and say, Oh God, open my eyes to the things that I could be praying about. Or God, what's on your heart that I could pray about? See what happens. You never know. So we're going to end where the disciples began. Oh God, teach us to pray. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful for these authors who have written down these stories that aren't random or haphazard. They actually are going somewhere. And I want to be like the Good Samaritan. I want to prioritize you like Mary did. I want to be in your presence because (laughs) all kinds of exciting things happen. So Lord, as a church, we pray that you would teach us how to do this better. And I pray for every person who's watching today that they would experience you uh, in their prayer time, that they wouldn't have to act like you were listening. They just knew you were listening and that they would hear from you. And as they begin to learn your voice, God, that it would be clearer and stronger and more concise and more understandable than they ever thought imaginable. God, while we are distributed across this uh, city and even the country, God, I would pray that every person would be experiencing you in their prayer time and find ways that they could impact the world just by bringing things to you in prayer. Help us to be that kind of a church, that kind of a people that relies on you, that builds faith because we're trusting you step by step. Oh God, teach us to pray. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.